All right, TCC. Well, we're going to try something a little bit different. You're going to hear from both of us uh, today, Pastor Adam and myself. And uh, so the message is going to be twice as long as it usually is. Um, I'm just kidding, but uh, not really, maybe. Well, we'll see where this goes. <laughs> Adam's very worried about this because uh, typically I manuscript everything, so I kind of know how long it is, but it never sticks to that. Adam often has just an outline, um, and that's just kind of the way, the way he presents. This time he's got the manuscript, and I've got the outline. I just, I just which... wanted to be more like you, Noah. <laughs> yeah. I thought so, I would help in this whole process. In this <laughs> process. So we, we should have, like compared notes on how we're going to do this a little bit, a little bit better. Um, but part of my problem is if I don't have very specific notes, I can just kind of go off on rabbit trails uh, every, each, everywhere. But where what we really just want to do today is to offer you and all of us some encouragement, especially as we close out 2020 and move into 21, some encouragement onto how to practically live into a walk with Jesus. Um, Pastor Quinn read from John chapter 15, and we'll be looking at uh, that passage more so from the perspective of the metaphor that it presents, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But what we really want this to be is just a very practical, helpful um, message this morning that just encourages you. It's really a pastoral invitation from our part uh, to remind you that God loves you and we have a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> That's right. and, uh, and, and I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's also somewhat true because as a church, we have a mission of knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, and sharing Jesus. And uh, of course, we want people to come to know Jesus personally and then, and then to get to know him better and who he is and, and how he wants us to walk out our everyday lives with him. And then as we do that, we just can't help but share Jesus. And oftentimes, we see this kind of as a progression or a linear thing. You know, we know Jesus and then we walk with Jesus and then we share Jesus. But really, it's all three of these things happening at the same time with the intended goal that as we know Jesus, walk with Jesus, share Jesus, we become more like Jesus. And that is really the, 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 the goal of, of the Christian life, that Sweet. we become more like Jesus. Sweet. And in order to do that, we do need to be very active and intentional about how we're going to do that. This doesn't happen if we're just passive, if, we're, if it's sort of accidental, if we think that if we can just hang around godly people, somehow we'll become more godly. Uh, now, that's partly true in the relationship of, of, of community, but if we don't do that in any other context, if where there's no other intention to our spiritual lives, then we're, we're going to miss the best and full life that God has for us. And so we can't be passive, as I said, about this. We all need some support. We need some structure, maybe even some order in our lives in order to correctly move forward. Uh, some of you have met my dad. He used to attend here, like many of you did in person, um, but he's not able to watch online anymore. He was pl- uh, He moved into a uh, long-term care facility last fall, so it's been a little bit over a year. He's in a mem- memory care unit there. He just had his 91st birthday in, in October, uh, but my dad uh, was a home builder, and so as a child uh, in the 70s, he built a lot of homes in Millwood, so if you live in that area, that was uh, kind of his main stomping grounds, and I would get to go as a child and see homes in various stages of completion, and so I got to know the process quite well. And if you know anything about home building, you do know that um, it starts with footings. First of course, the basement is dug, and then you put footings, you build basement walls on top of that, the, the floor joists are connected to the basement walls, you put flooring on top of those floor joists, and then you 
build the, the frame out the rest of the structure. And Pastor Adam, from all of his carpentry uh, training, um, can tell you more about that if he so chooses. But um, my point in saying all of this, again, is that foundations and structure are so important. And it doesn't just happen in any order. It doesn't just happen kind of willy-nilly, kind of thrown together. There are drawings to be followed. There has to be a plan to building a sound structure. And the year 2020, we may feel like our foundations have been a little shaky at times, that we may feel in some ways that we've lost some precious time, that we kind of maybe put our, our lives a little bit on a hold and we kind of are just waiting to get through this. And, and I, as I've talked to a lot of people, I think that COVID has exposed some things in us and not all of it uh, is pretty. And um, when I think of this idea of exposure, I came across a poem by Sarah Burns. She's a pastor in in New York City, and uh, she wrote a poem called We Have All Been Exposed early on in the pandemic, and she posted on Facebook, and then it went went viral. And I want to share it with you this morning because I think it it really speaks uh, to some of the things that we might be wrestling with ourselves in these days. So let me share this with you. It's called We Have All Been Exposed by Sarah Burns. We have all been exposed not necessarily to the virus, maybe, who knows. We've all been exposed by the virus. Corona is exposing us, exposing our weak sides, exposing our dark sides, exposing what normally lays far beneath the surface of our souls, hidden by the invisible masks we wear, now exposed by the paper masks we can't hide far enough behind. Corona is exposing our addiction to comfort, our obsession with control, our compulsion to hoard, our protection of self. Corona is peeling back our layers, tearing down our walls, revealing our illusions, leveling our best laid plans. Corona is exposing the gods we worship, our health, our hurry, our sense of security. Our favorite lies, our secret lusts, our misplaced trust. Corona is calling everything into question. What is the church without a building? What is my worth without an income? How do we plan without certainty? How do we love despite risk? Corona is exposing me, my mindless numbing, my endless scrolling, my careless words, my fragile nerves. We've all been exposed, our junk laid bare, our fears made known, the band-aid torn, the masquerade done. So what now? What's left? Clean hands, clear eyes, tender hearts. What corona reveals, God can heal. Come, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. And so what corona reveals, God can heal. And that's really our invitation today is that we would enter into this journey of spiritual transformation. And uh, so the question that we really want to ask is how do we change or how do we move forward? Yeah. Before we jump into that, uh, we want to kind of take a step back and look at where we've been as a church in terms of our our preaching and our sermons over the last bit, as well as look at where we are headed. Because I think it speaks to all of this. Over these past several weeks, of course, we've been journeying through Advent, reminding ourselves of the hope, peace, joy, and love available to us in the person of Jesus, a reality, of course, that comes to us because of his birth. A constant theme through December was that it is all too easy for us to misplace our hope, 
our joy, our peace, and our sense of love. To go looking for them in the wrong places. To look for them in things other than Christ for ultimate satisfaction. And if this is a practice that we talked about how it just simply doesn't work. That our hope needs to be in Jesus, um, who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. So that's what we've been talking about in December. Uh, in the weeks ahead, we are going to be continuing in our study on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, what we've done when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount is we broke it into three different sections. The first we could have titled Acts of Righteousness, which are several of Jesus' teaching on right practice in regard to relationships. Hopefully you were with us for that. Uh, the section that we're moving into could be called Acts of Piety or Acts of Devotion. And these are Jesus' teaching on how we are to engage intentionally in our relationship with God. Now, if you're anything like me, you can hear messages on how easy it is to misplace our hope, right? What we've been talking about in Advent. Um, or you can hear messages on spiritual practices. And, and listening to these messages, you end up thinking, okay, this is all great, but how do I move past my temptations to a misplaced hope? Or you might think, I would love more spiritual practices, but every time I try, it doesn't turn out the way I think it will, or I just simply end up failing altogether. Well, this morning, we want to, um, this encouragement that we want to give to you, we, we hope that it speaks to both these discouragements as well as to your wonderings. Uh, Norb and I have both been interacting um, with this whole idea around something called a rule of life. Uh, most recently, we were inspired by a sermon delivered by Pastor John Mark Comer and Bethany Allen uh, from Bridgetown Church in Portland. So a big shout out to them. And, and frankly, a lot of this message is heavily inspired by their sermon. In fact, Norm and I, uh, Bethany Allen and John Mark sat much like this. And, and uh, so we're, we're just copying them. Except um, they both had iPads. And so I don't know if you've noticed this. Yeah. I mean, Adam's the young hip guy. And, uh, and I'm still the old school guy with my pen and paper. I thought I'd try this out. It's making my hands really sweaty, which uh, isn't, <laughs> I'm sure isn't they all good. Needed to isn't, yeah, they all needed to know that. <laughs> um, but in this sermon that uh, John Mark and Bethany Allen delivered, uh, they encouraged their congregation to engage in a rule of life. And Norb and I, as we listened to that, as we talked about it, as we prayed about it, really felt like we wanted to do the same uh, for you, TCC. So that's what we're doing this morning, is encouraging you as well to have a rule of life. But what is a rule of life, Norb? Well, I'm glad you asked, Adam. But uh, before we talk about that, just real quick, though, like, it's not just that, that sermon. I mean, this is something that we've been right, engaging right. with for a while. Pete Scazzaro uh, is a pastor at New Life uh, Fellowship Church in New York City. He's written extensively on this. Um, Adam will refer to a book later by Ken Shigematsu called God in My Everything. Um, these are uh, resources and things that we have been processing for, for a while as well. And so just to kind of put it in the context of this message. So what is a rule of life? Um, John 15 verse 1 just begins with, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And there Jesus just sets up really this metaphor for spiritual formation where Jesus is the vine, the father is the gardener, and we as his followers are the branches on this vine. And he talks about how we must remain in him or abide in him is another word. And this uh, idea of a rule of life is really a very ancient idea. It goes back to even when um, Latin was a more dominant language and the word abide or remain was translated or, or the Latin word was regula from which we get our English words like regular and regulation, even ruler or a straight piece of wood. And so this word was used for a trellis in a vineyard. 
And so this early used metaphor for, is for a vine to bear fruit, it needs a rule or a straight piece of wood to lift it up off the ground, to give it direction and support as it grows. And so when we talk about a rule of life, we want you to right up front know that this is not something that's a legalistic to-do list. This isn't um, kind of a checklist that you wake up and at the end of the day, if you've checked all the boxes, you feel really good about yourself. No, it's not that at all. It is intended to be a structure in our lives, some some daily or weekly rhythms that really are life-giving to us. And so if it's draining life from you, there's something maybe that you're, you're... you're kind of off or how you're approaching some of these things. But really, think of the rule of life as a structure to help us abide or remain with Jesus and to help us move in the right direction. And if you stop and think about it, the idea of a vine growing on a trellis is a powerful picture. Andy Crouch, he he defines a rule of life in this way. He says, a set of practices to guard our habits and guide our lives. Pete Scazzaro says, a call to order our entire life in such a way that the love of Christ comes before all else. And so that that Jesus really is the center of everything. And that's why that book, God in My Everything, uh, really lays this out so well. But Pete Scazzaro goes on and he defines, in his definition of a rule of life, says, it's nurturing a growing spirituality with depth in our present day culture will require a thoughtful, conscious, intentional plan for our spiritual lives. So think of a rule of life as this thoughtful, conscious, intentional plan. And so what rhythms of daily, weekly, maybe even monthly practices will you engage in that will orientate you towards God, that will help you abide or remain in Him? That's right. That's right. So if that's what a rule of life is, um, why is it so important? Well, this morning, Pastor Quinn read for us two different passages. Uh, the first was Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. And in this passage, the people of Israel are instructed to only be careful to watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. So in this passage, Israel is called to diligently consider the way that they are living their lives, and they're invited to consider their lives in light of what God has both done um, as well as what God has instructed. So it's this um, thoughtful reflection on life in relation to God. Uh, that's what he's calling them to. And friends, I believe that this counsel from God comes to us today. As we look back on 2020, as we watch ourselves closely, as we think about the emotions and the feelings that came up in us as Pastor Norb read uh, that poem, what do we see? What do we notice when we look back, when we consider our lives? Are we okay with how we've behaved or, or how we've dealt with the disappointments of 2020? Do we see missed opportunities for obedience to God and love for other people? As we watch ourselves, perhaps we see areas that need correction, attitudes that need repenting of, because... Added, sorry, this is me using a manuscript. <laughs> oh, man. And it's super spot. tiny font. I don't even know how he, how he reads that. It's the miracle of, of context. Um, yeah, attitudes that require repentance or relationships that might need healing. And so this idea of the rule of life, I believe, is a, a discipline of watching ourselves closely. It's doing what Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4 is calling us to and ensuring that our lives are handled faithfully in light of what God has done and what he has instructed us to do. 
So first off, the idea of having a rule of life is important because when it's done well, it leads to faithfulness. And I believe that you want to be someone who's considered faithful. I want to be someone who's considered faithful. The second passage that Quinn read for us is from John 15, which uh, Pastor Noah was alluding to already, where Jesus commands his disciples, uh, which, by the way, if you're a Christian, you are a disciple of Jesus. So the command is for us as well, for you and I today in 2020, heading into 2021, this command is for us that we are to abide in Jesus. Jesus uses a metaphor of vines and branches, painting the picture for us that a vine can only experience life and vitality when it is attached to the branch. So you and I are to be attached to Jesus to experience life and vitality from him. Now the possibility of this attachment begins with the power of God's spirit working in our lives. But if you're like me, you can likely relate to there being times in your life where you don't feel that you are all that close to Jesus. Perhaps you feel like a broken off branch rather than an attached one. Choices are made contrary to what you know Jesus would have you do. Uh, Maybe you're acting in an unloving manner towards people in your life. The list of behaviors or attitudes reflecting a life that doesn't appear to be abiding in Christ is endless, of course. So how do we abide? And when we read John 15, it, it leaves me with a lot of questions. Lord, how do I do this? What does this look like? Well, friends, I believe that a properly developed and implemented rule of life while not a complete and total solution for you, um, is something that significantly aids you in being able to be obedient to Jesus' command in John 15 uh, to abide. Now the phrase rule of life and this whole concept, uh, even spiritual disciplines, it might be something that we instinctively push back against. It's like rules, I don't need more rules in my life. But I want to suggest that we use this type of thing all of the time. We all have rules that are currently working um, themselves out in our lives. Uh, Many of you know that I was able to run a marathon distance this past summer back in June. I've I've talked about this before. Um, And I ended up running the distance on my own because, of course, the cancellation of the Vancouver Marathon. Uh, My success, though, in being able to run that 42 kilometers uh, was only made possible by the rules that I had set in place for myself. My training regimen had me running four times a week, up and down hills and over long distances. On many given days, I did not want to run. I wanted to break my own rules. I wanted to abandon the whole process all together. But by choosing to stick to it, I was able to accomplish my goal. And it was amazing. It felt amazing. It was, there's a sense of satisfaction in it. Um, And so this idea of following a rule or following a goal or chasing after a goal, this, this is all over the place in our lives. When we seek to accomplish something, we consider the cost and we make proper arrangements and commitments necessary for us to see our goals accomplished. But sadly, we can too easily not apply the same passion or determination to being people who abide in Jesus. Friends, we have plans and rules for education, fitness, finance, and career. Why not have one for our spiritual lives? So what might a rule of life look like for you Uh, Pastor Norb and I just wanted to share with you uh, six different ideas or practices that we could you could consider a rule of life Uh, these are not authoritative these are not a complete list these are not exhaustive but we just wanted to share with you some things that we are already doing in our lives and I want to invite you to to consider joining us in them as well yeah so these practices that we're talking about the first one that we want to suggest to you is probably just the foundation and it's the most important one and you probably already can anticipate what this one's going to be but it's just finding a daily rhythm of quiet prayer and scripture um 
knowing that uh, using other terms, we might use the words silence and solitude and scripture. And the whole intent of that is to simply be with God, allowing God to speak to us first before any of the distractions that come up uh, in the day. It's, uh, it just is a non-negotiable in that sense that you need to start your day there. Now, I'll be honest, I'll tell you right up front that I don't do this every single day because sometimes my day just gets uh, uh, off track right from the beginning and, and I just make a commitment to getting back on track the next day. It happens and that's okay. We need to give sure. ourselves a lot of grace in that way. And again, this is true for all of these practices that we want to make sure that there's a lot of grace in that way. But I also used to never be a morning person. I was an evening person. I'd stay up late and say, well, I'll have my quiet time at night. Well, it never really worked because I was always distracted by something else. I had all of the events of the day, and I never really got to it very effectively. And so I made the switch to start getting up earlier and earlier so that I could have that quiet time. And part of what convinced me to do that is that when I talked about being more like Jesus, Jesus is exactly what he, this is what he practiced. And in, in the Gospels, they talk about this uh, repeatedly. But in Mark chapter 1, there's verse 35, we read this very specifically, saying this about Jesus, very early in the morning, while it was still dark. I mean, that could be 8 o'clock right now, but I think it was earlier than that. But he got up, he went out, and made his way to a deserted place. This place is solitude. And there he was praying. And I just thought about it, that if this is Jesus, who's fully God and fully man, he needs to go and spend time with his father, then how do I as a mere mortal not need to spend time with my father as well? And so this practice of quiet prayer and scripture is exactly what it is by definition, that you find some time of solitude where you get away by yourself. Uh, You may need to wake up earlier, as I already said, or maybe you already get up earlier, but you engage in another practice. And that probably that practice is a very good thing, but it's not allowing you to remain in Jesus in the way that Jesus invites us to remain in him and to abide in him. And so you may need to kind of switch out some of your practices in in that way. Um, But just finding that time of solitude to be with Jesus. And of course, when you're by yourself, silence is a really good thing. You start by being quiet. It's amazing how you become so aware of the sounds around you. And in my little den, I've got two clocks and now we've added a third clock that we got for Tina for Christmas. And I can hear the clock ticking on every single one of them. And it drives me a little crazy. I actually have to tune it out a little bit, Um, but it's not completely silent with those clocks ticking. But start by being quiet and knowing what the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God, and and then go from there and enter into prayer. And prayer is a conversation with God. It's not just us just kind of pouring everything out, although he invites us to do that, but it's also receiving from him. And so you might need some structure in your prayer. Um, Pastor Adam uh, in a couple of weeks is going to be preaching on the Lord's Prayer. He also did a class in his equip session back uh, in the spring. I invite you, if you want to grow in this area of prayer, go back and use uh, some of those resources again. Um, 
and then scripture, because that's how God speaks to us. God primarily speaks to us through his word. And so we're in, our, in this place by ourselves with silence. We're praying, and then we go to scripture, and we invite God to speak to us through that. And it's so important to have a plan, because I know sometimes people think, well, I'm just going to, you know, where do I read? They don't know, and so they get discouraged, or they'll kind of do the old open the Bible and point somewhere, and you almost always end up like in the Psalms, which is really good, or Nehemiah or something, and you're kind of like, well, where does this come in? Without kind of reading the Bible in its, in its full context and the full story. And late last fall, we invited you to participate in a community-wide or church-wide reading plan that was put together by Robert Murray McShane. He was a pastor in Scotland who wanted his church to be reading some of the same scripture every day. And uh, man, there's a, even a bit of accountability to that because, you know, I want to read it just in case somebody's going to say, oh man, what did you take out of Psalm 89 today or something <laughs> like that? And it's like, oh, Psalm 89? Yeah, yeah, I read that. Um, when, and, and so this idea of entering into uh, reading scripture with community is what this plan is all about. I sent it out in, a, in the email this morning that invited you to participate in the service as an attachment. You have to print it on legal paper. We have hard copies here if you want to just um, swing by sometime when the doors are open and pick one up or just use that as a plan. And come to it the way Samuel came, when, when you may remember the story where Samuel thought Eli was calling him, and so he'd always go to Eli, the priest, and say, were you calling me? No, he wasn't. And then finally he realized it was God speaking to him, trying mm. to get his attention. And, he, and Samuel says, God, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And I think that's such an important approach to take when it comes to Scripture, that we go before God and say, speak, Lord, for your, for, um, your servant is listening. There's apps. I'm, I'm, I'm rushing now because I know I'm taking too much time on this one already. But um, some great apps. I, I've told you about the Dwell app, which is my go-to right now. It's the baby, the, the basically the Bible on audio, um, and so I read along in my in my Bible while I hear it read to me, and it's just kind of changed my perspective on how I'm hearing God um, in that way. You version, uh, read scripture, some other great things, but make a daily rhythm of quiet prayer and scripture part of your rule of life. Absolutely. And so um, for me to experience success in the practice that Norb's talking about, I need to actually set up some rules or practices in other areas of my life. So I want to paint a scene for you. Uh, you finally wake up early, you, you head downstairs, you're excited to spend some time with quiet prayer and scripture, uh, and so you decide to make a pot of coffee if you're like me, maybe you put the kettle on for some tea, uh, and while that's brewing and being made, you go, you get like a throw blanket, you're all excited, and, but the coffee's still brewing, and so you're like, oh, I'll just check my phone quick. And uh, then, then you get your coffee, you sit down, and instead of going for your Bible, maybe you, you keep scrolling the news or, or looking at pictures or you end up on your computer. And uh, suddenly, instead of settling in with some time with the Lord, you settle into some time with your phone. Uh, that has happened to me more than once. And so the second uh, practice we want to invite you into is to have rules around a boundary surrounding your technology and media. Think about having boundaries surrounding your use of technology and uh, your intake of media. Uh, technology is meant to enhance our lives, isn't it? It's meant to help us. Uh, could you imagine going through 2020 without access to a computer? Like, wow, uh, that would have been difficult. So it's isn't to say that technology is bad. Of course not. It's meant to be a tool to help us. However, it can all too easily um, harm our lives. Technology can easily rob us of joy, subdue our thankfulness, crush our spirits, and misdirect our hopes. I've experienced all of those things while scrolling on Facebook. I don't know about you. So we need to establish rules around these devices. It's so important. 
In addition to technology itself, we would be wise to consider how much input we actually have um, in regard to news and other media. Well, understanding what's going on in the world is a good thing. Too much of that without the counterbalance of this silence and solitude and time with the Lord that Norb is talking about can wreak havoc in our hearts and in our souls. So both technology and media or news consumption are things we need to consider when we start thinking about a rule of life. So what do I try to do? What does my, me and my wife try to do? Well, I've talked about this before, and we're not perfect in any of this, so, so don't think that I have this totally figured out. Uh, but Jolene and I dock our phones at the door. We try to leave our phones um, by the door. Um, we turn the ringers on. If the phone rings, we can answer. If we get a text, we can go check it out. Um, but we try to keep our phones from being with us in the house because we just don't need that. And we certainly keep them away from the dinner table. Uh, we keep our phones out of our bedroom altogether. Our phones do not come upstairs um, unless there are some circumstances that we need them. And this is something we actually have kept. And I think it's been a blessing to our marriage and to our personal mental health. Uh, the most important rule that I've established in my life around technology is no technology for, before a time of prayer and a time of, in God's Word. So when I'm waiting for that coffee to finish brewing, I don't grab my phone. <laughs> I start praying or something mm-hmm. else, right? And so my wife and I aim, although often fail, to not watch television every day. Uh, we try to keep TV as something that's kind of special. And I try to only read the news or interact with media for predetermined slots of time. And we, we have so many apps and things that actually will help us regulate uh, some of those things. There's that word, regulate, the yeah. rule. The app gives us the rule of I'm only going to be on Facebook or whatever for 10 minutes today or whatever it is. So please, please, please consider how technology may be stealing from you, how it might not be the tool that you think that it is, and take steps uh, to set it in its rightful place. A fantastic book that I read on this a couple years back is called The TechWise Family uh, by author Andy Crouch. And uh, Norb actually told me this morning, I didn't know this, but Andy Crouch's daughter, Amy, I think Amy Crouch, just co-authored a book with her dad called The TechWise Life. Uh, So if you're having issues uh, establishing boundaries around technology, there's amazing resources out there for you. So so this is our second practice of establishing uh, these boundaries around uh, technology and media intake. And a thought that I had, like, I'm, I'm listening to this and I keep thinking of more ideas, so I'm sorry about that. But, you know, we need to understand that in our spiritual life, you know, we have an enemy who works against us in every area. Absolutely. And, and I think about how easily the enemy uses distraction in our lives. Yeah. And, and the number one tool that I believe he's using right now is technology in That's that right. sense. Because I know, I've learned from Adam not you no phone no social media nothing before that quiet time and yet exactly that coffee the temptation to do it and then how easily you are distracted and then you miss that time and so that is actually a really critical thing to be thinking about about how we're going to walk that out so the third thing speaking of walking is uh, exercise and maybe going for a walk a day or this whole idea of just caring for your body Um, Now, that may seem a little bit strange and not very spiritual, but I want to suggest to you that how we care for our physical bodies is, in fact, a way that we honor God, that we honor God with our bodies. And if you think about it, Jesus did a lot of walking. Everywhere he went, he walked, and he would invite people to follow him. The invitation that Jesus extends to us, in fact, is to walk with him, both figuratively and literally, 
Mark Buchanan, who's one of my favorite authors, and Adam's going to reference another book of his, just came out with a book called God Walk. Now, when we hold these up, I'm sure you can't see this unless they zoom in, (laughs) but that's not the intent. But um, this is called, this book just came out this fall. I just got it, and it's going to be either my last book of 2020 to read or my first one of 2021. But the subtitle is Moving at the Speed of Your Soul. And, um, and he just talks about practically and theologically how walking fits with our relationship with Jesus. Because really, there's something about walking and exercising that helps us engage with God and stay grounded in Him. And again, in this season, more than ever, this is so important. Because everything that we do is basically virtual. It's using that technology for what it's intended to. But you hear people talk about Zoom fatigue or, man, I was Zoomed out instead of zoned out. But they're pretty much the same thing. And so what you might find if you are online all day long, whether you're teaching or you're doing business or whatever it is, that you need to go for a walk. And people say walking clears their mind. But it's also a great time to pray, to connect with God, to abide with Him. There's an old hymn that, uh, that I've heard uh, that many of you um, may remember and some of you probably never ever heard it, but it's just, He walks with me. He walks with me and He talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. You want to talk about being grounded somewhere is just go out, go for a walk, pray to God, and, uh, and know that, um, yeah. that you're his child. Yeah. And the end of that, that hymn, and, and the joy we share as we tarry there, no other will ever know. That's right. right. Which is so, so beautiful. Yeah. The joy uh, and of that relationship. I think beyond even caring for our bodies uh, through exercises, making sure we're eating right and staying healthy, um, there's a temptation, I think, in a lot of the modern New Age movement. There's a separation between um, our, our spirit and our body, right? Our spirits have somehow transcended our body. That is not uh, biblical teaching. Um, Jesus is addressing our whole self, our, our spirit, soul, and body. Um, and so the way we care for our bodies is actually a spiritual practice. So, uh, so don't think that going for a run or going for a walk or taking care of yourself, eating well, is, is somehow not a spiritual practice. When we set our minds upon Jesus, we can allow those things to be actually an expression of worship, thanking God for the bodies he's given us and, and um, caring for them and being faithful uh, with what he's given us in that regard. Uh, so that's the third one. Um, here's the fourth. We need to speed up a bit. Oh, man. Another practice. <laughs> don't look at the clock. Yeah, don't, don't look worry. at the clock. <laughs> Everyone at home is like, look at the clock. No, just, uh, another practice that has been life-changing for, for me has been engaging in the practice of Sabbath. Now, Sabbath, very simply, is a 24-hour set time, uh, a time set aside to not work. A time set aside to not work. Now, a lot could be said around Sabbath keeping, and I don't have time to talk about that. But what I want to say about it is that our culture lives at such an alarming pace. It's go, 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 busy, 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 do, 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 achieve, 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 accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. And so we are typically very good at busy and very, very bad at rest. Or we've equated rest to collapsing on the couch and watching reruns of some show on Netflix. And friends, that's not the Sabbath rest that Jesus has called us to. And we look at Sabbath and we think that it's kind of legalistic or whatever else, but we have to remember in Mark chapter 2 verse 27, Jesus said to the people around him that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So Sabbath is actually a gift from God, a God-designed opportunity for us to experience rest and restoration to our souls. Uh, When I was in college, we were told an ancient idea around Sabbath that simply said, if you keep Sabbath, Sabbath will keep you. 
And that simply means that we often feel too busy to rest. We feel too busy to take Sabbath. But what if our rest is actually the thing that allows us to accomplish all that we need to accomplish? Uh, What if our rest is the thing um, that helps us to do all that we need to do in a week? Because we're energized and inspired by that time. And so what does Sabbath look like for my family? Uh, We've toyed with various ideas over the years in regard to keeping Sabbath, and you have to find what works for you and your family and in your own rhythms. But what we try to do, and I say try because it doesn't happen every week, uh, but we try to set aside a 24-hour period, uh, which is me saying that it's not a fixed day. It's not like every Friday, every Saturday, every Sunday. Uh, It floats around for us based on our commitments. And uh, beginning, it always begins with supper. So the 24 hours begins with supper time. And it's usually a celebration type of meal. um, Something that's special. We eat together and share in that time together. And for the 24 hours that follows, we focus on rest as a family. This is the idea. With young kids, obviously it's very different. But Jelena and I aspire to have a rhythm where we help one another out and allow each other to have their own personal time away from the kids of, of quiet and solitude. Um, an extended time of quiet and solitude on Sabbath we think is really important. Um, we sit, we read, we walk, we rest, uh, we connect with family and friends, and we take time to worship. Another great resource, we've quoted him once. Now again, Mark Buchanan wrote a book called The Rest of God. Um, and in it, he, he says that um, Sabbath is about ceasing from the necessary. We cease from the necessary. Um, and uh, so, yeah, if you're wondering about Sabbath, this is a great resource. But man, doesn't it sound amazing to just cease from the necessary? To, to rest. Man, it's an amazing invitation. And so I want to invite you uh, to a practice of Sabbath, a weekly practice of Sabbath where you catch up with God, with, our, with yourself, and with one another. <clears throat> Somewhere I remember hearing this. I don't know if this is uh, who said this or whatever, but we're human beings, not human doings. That's right. And, uh, and I've, often, I've really struggled with that in my life where um, I, I tend to be a do, 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 have tasks, always have something to do that sometimes even when I relax and rest, I can feel a little guilty doing that. Um, and so that's really important to orientate ourselves around Sabbath as well. And so we've talked a little bit about our relationship with God and how uh, some, maybe some things about self-care. But one of the pieces, of course, that's really important is relationship with others. And uh, this is that whole area of community that you ought to build a practice around. Because even if you are incredibly introverted, by now you've probably discovered that you need people. We all yeah. need people. We That's need right. relationships. And that needs to be face-to-face. Um, you know, a little bit of FaceTime. I think somebody should come up with an app for that. I think it would be really <laughs> popular to, to help people like use technology to, to connect that way. Um, but more than just technology, it's the being in person. And that's what makes right now so difficult is because maybe we're just in our family or maybe um, you live by yourself and you're, you're not able to really connect with a lot of other people. But we absolutely need that community uh, in our lives. And this practice of relationship with others really is an invitation to plan and to commit to connecting with others, to be in a place where you know people and you are known. Uh, I like to always, you remember Cheers, where everybody knows your name, and it was this bar that people hung out in, in Boston, and, um, and that was their community, right, where everybody knows your name. 
and you come to a church even the size of TCC, you're not going to know everybody. And so to be in a small group where you are known and you know others and to then walk with Jesus in the company of others. We talk about that all the time. And so again, just a reminder, community matters. It's like breathing matters, okay? That's how important it is. And so maybe you need to find some kind of a daily or weekly or monthly rhythm for that. But you need to set a time and be intentional or it doesn't happen. I mean, how many times have you said to a friend, oh, we really should get together for coffee, you know, Mm -hmm. after this pandemic thing ends or whatever the, the line is. But if you don't make a plan, it doesn't happen. It's better to put it on your calendar and then maybe not have it happen because something's come up than to just think you're going to spontaneously remember, oh yeah, I should call up so-and-so and get together. And the same goes through if you're married to, to plan a regular date night or something like that where it's just you and your spouse and making priority for that relationship. Maybe it's within your family. You find a special night uh, for games or doing something that you enjoy doing together. In our family, uh, all of our growing up, our kids growing up years, we have prioritized dinner. That's been a really, almost a non-negotiable in our family. Mm. Even when Anna was really busy with after-school sports and things like that, we would then eat after she got home. And so the time of that has fluctuated, much like your Sabbath has, but we prioritized how important that is. And I don't need to tell you, but I'm going to tell you again. Church community. (laughs) So important. Small groups. Over the years, we've talked about triads where you just get together with two other people of the same sex um, to to really engage in in spiritual conversation, how important that is. I want to suggest to you that even now, maybe if if you're a couple, you maybe connect with one or two other couples. Um, I know that some small groups have had difficulty meeting because they can't meet in person and Zoom doesn't work for people. And it's been such a, like everything's been disrupted. So the point is, is if you're going to make this a rule of life, you want to engage in this practice, be intentional about figuring out what that looks like in this season. It may look different, but we can be thankful for some of the technology. And the last relationship that I want to think it's not by any means the least important, I think it's maybe one of the most important one, is just our neighbors. That we would be intentional about being good neighbors. Um, Do you know your neighbors by name? Um, maybe three houses on either side of the street, maybe across the street. Know them by name, pray by, for them by name, greet them by name, and then serve them in some way. Um, you don't need to spend every day with them. You just need to be a good neighbor and be um, thinking about how you can serve them and care for them. Because I think now more than ever, we absolutely have to draw closer in relationship, not grow more distant. And so yeah. just be on guard that what this season could do is really draw us further apart, and we can't allow that to happen. That's right. That's good words. Well, the final practice uh, we want to speak to and invite you into uh, this, this morning is finding time each day to engage in what John Mark Homer at Bridgetown calls is engagement in one focal practice. Uh, we may also call this a restorative practice or even simpler, you might just call it a hobby. Uh, the idea in this is to do something that requires you to give your full attention. It's a type of activity that if given the opportunity, you likely end up losing track of time. Uh, And this probably, as I'm saying this, you're like, man, that sounds like a luxury. Uh, But it's so important for us to engage in these things. Uh, This idea, implementing this into a rule of life, was a newer concept to me when I first heard John Mark Comer teach about it. Uh, But it feels incredibly important these days. Uh, John Mark describes these practices as a way to to present yourself before God and engage in activity that fosters joy, Mm. leading you to being someone who is healthy and happy. (laughs) 
When we think about uh, Pastor Norm's message from a few weeks back on joy, man, we need to be fostering joy in our lives. And God's created us with, with desires and loves and passions. And uh, when we engage in those things, they become an act of worship to him. And, and what I love about this and what John Mark said is this calling it the happy, healthy. Like, did, you, did you catch this whole thing, right? That this is about fostering, fostering joy. Mm-hmm. You engage in something that is life-giving to your soul. And while you do it, you are not thinking about things that make you anxious or nervous, right? Which, again, we need that type of time in our lives. Uh, John Mark describes these practices. Um, sorry. And so what does this look like? Uh, gardening, woodworking, reading. Uh, for Pastor Norb, he might be waxing his car, as he talked about a few weeks ago. Um, baking, painting, drawing, playing the guitar, piano, or some other instrument. Um, and yes, we should add prayer and scripture reading to this list of, of a practice like this. These are all potential examples of, of this type of thing that John Mark is talking about. And, and for me personally, I've just recently started reading um, more novels and books that are not related to church or theology or scripture, uh, which is a big deal for me. Reading's always been difficult. Um, and so I started reading some classics a few years back, um, and now I just finished a book by Annie Dillard. I read a couple of Annie Dillard books this past year, and um, I'm reading a novel about Vietnam right now. Like, and so I've been amazed at how much it's been a blessing to me, and that's just, you know, 20 minutes before bed or whatever it is, whenever I can work it in. And so this is also something that we should try to tack into a weekly Sabbath time, uh, but the type of thing that you should be looking to try to implement, again, for at least 20 minutes a day. Uh, I believe that this is the type of thing that Paul is inviting us into in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 where he says that we're invited to set our minds upon whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Uh, These things foster joy. Um, And just a quick side note that if you're married, um, spouses, I encourage you to help one another take the time to do the things that they love. Um, encourage them in it. Uh, Take care of the kids so that your spouse can go and do and engage in something that maybe they haven't done in a long time that they love to do and to be a support to one another in in that way. And I love this practice because I just think it sounds so fantastic. Uh, Find places in your life, time in your day to do things that you love. Well, friends, these are but six examples of uh, potential practices that you could work to put into your life. Uh, I hope that you hear our invitation that you would recognize that living the abided life or keeping our hope on Jesus, these are not things that will just happen to us. We need systems and we need help along the way to become the types of people um, that Jesus longs for us to be. So your homework for this week, we've been giving you lots of homework lately, uh, is to draft a rule of life. I think the timing is perfect as we head into New Year's Eve. So I invite you to reflect back on 2020 and ask the question of what rules do you already have? When you look back at 2020, what are some practices that you're already engaging in? Uh, Some of these might be great, really good, healthy rules. Others might not be great. They might be kind of bad rules. The reality is that we all have rhythms and routines in our lives that may or may not be healthy. But the fact is we do have these these systems already at work. So I encourage you to write down what a week typically looks like. And then pray and ask Jesus about 2021. And ask the question, what practices should I ensure that I am engaging in as I head into this new year? Allow Jesus to lead you into a more abided, more trust-filled year. And then write down your six or so practices and share them with a friend. So my one caveat in that is to not draft a list of ten new practices and then expect to jump into all of them at once. 
Like New Year's resolutions, too great of a commitment can lead to a gradual disengagement and an eventual complete falling away from the goal that you had initially. So instead, make sure that your practices are realistic and then add them to your life one at a time. A great resource um, that was already been alluded to is this book by Ken Shigematsu, uh, God in My Everything, and it's all about rule of life. It's all about different practices. He goes way more in depth than what we have even begun to, to scratch the surface on this morning, and I think it's 15 bucks on Amazon. We also have some copies here at the church if you'd like to get your hands on that as you look at 21, 2021. Uh, and so, so yeah, that, that's our encouragement to you this morning. What, what systems, what practices can you put into place in your life? And God in my everything, he really uses that trellis as yeah. a metaphor, and he does such a great job of it. And so, again, we highly, highly, highly recommend that. Listen, church, our goal this morning was not to overwhelm you um, with a whole bunch of things to do, but to give you an idea of the types of spiritual practices that you might engage in to abide and to remain in Christ. And so a rule of life is simply this plan to engage in these specific practices on a regular basis, that you find a rhythm that works for you. And it really is an invitation to change. Because maybe we don't even need COVID to expose us. We instinctively know that our life is a little bit out of sorts, that we're missing out on this full and abundant life that Jesus uh, offers to us. And so where do we begin? And I want to just say that I think it just starts with prayer, that even now I'm going to invite you to join in a prayer. Um, but to, it's really a prayer of invitation for God to examine our hearts and then to change us. And so the best prayer I think that we can be praying as we close out 2020 and 2021 is, God, where, where do I need to change? And what are the practices that I need to engage in that are going to help me do that? And so I'm going to invite you to read a prayer. Again, this was written by Sarah Burns. It's, it's kind of a, a poet, a prayer in poetry form. And I believe the words are going to come up on the line. And it's just my prayer these days. And, uh, and then let's read, let's pray this together, and then we're going to sing a song together, and then we're done. But let's pray this together. Lord, do whatever you need to do in me, so you can do whatever you want to do through me. Do whatever you need to do in us, so you can do whatever you want to do through us. What do you need to tear down, break off, shake up, empty out? overthrow, overhaul, undo, uproot. We're here and we're ready. We're waiting and we're asking. We just want more of you. What's in the way? What's holding us back? What's got to go? What's blocking the path? We loosen our grips. We open our hands. We widen our hearts, make room to expand. You search us and know us. You see us and meet us. You purge us and cleanse us. You prune us and peel us. Whatever it come, however it comes, whatever the cost, whatever it takes, whatever is lost, you're worth it, you're good, you love us, and you've got this. So, yes, we trust you to do whatever you need to do in us so that you can do whatever you want to do through us. Lord, have your way.